You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So this week's topic is gut health which I know some of you were probably really into and others might have looked at the show title and went, eh. Let me illustrate just how impactful your gut microbiome is, not just to your health, but also to your performance. And warning, if you're eating right now, you might want to put down the fork for a few bites. A few years ago, Bicycling Magazine did a story on Lauren Peterson, who founded the Athlete Microbiome Project. Peterson had contracted Lyme disease when she was 11, and she was on and off antibiotics and pretty sick for more than a decade of her life. Then as she was finishing her PhD, she was still struggling with some of these issues, so she gave herself a fecal transplant from a competitive cyclist, which is as it sounds. A few months after her transplant, Peterson was training five days a week, up from her usual two that she could manage. She started racing. She was soon placing, even winning in the pro field. And it had her wondering, like, okay, if I had gotten my microbiome from my couch potato and not a racer, would I, would I be doing this? And it just made her wonder what the best possible microbiome for a racer would be. Because as she did more research, she discovered that high-level performing cyclists actually had different bacteria in their guts than non-racers and non-athletes. Now, nobody, nobody, nobody is recommending that you get into what people were calling poop doping at the time, but it was definitely a sign that the microbiome is a key player in your performance. And echoing that just a couple of years later in 2019, Researchers looked at the microbiome of Boston marathoners and found the same thing. They found there was a specific group of bacteria that was more abundant in the athlete's gut after the marathon that did not occur and was not present in non-runners. Definitely something to it and definitely something to health, well-being, and even body composition. The, the composition of your gut bacteria has been linked in many studies to body composition and having a higher percentage of some types leads to weight gain. Your gut microbiome is also always changing. It's changing all the time and the menopausal transition definitely alters it and not necessarily for the better, which impacts digestion, health, well-being, and yes, performance. So now that I have your attention, I am super excited to bring you this week's guest, Stacy Kazinchuk. She is a sports dietitian and clinical exercise physiologist who works specifically with peri- and postmenopausal women as the Director of Health Coaching at Genev, which is an online medical and health resource for menopausal women. She's also super interested in the gut microbiome. We dive right into gut health and everything you can do to optimize yours. It's a great conversation. So fascinating. I learned so much and I'm kind of a geek on this stuff too. One thing I do want to leave you with, which we didn't get into on the show, is if you should actually want to get your own microbiome tested, which you don't really need to unless you're having some issues, she encourages you to work with a a expert who knows the microbiome. There are, because this is kind of a hot field right now, there are a lot of direct-to-consumer products that you can buy and you can kind of do it on your own. But a lot of those manufacturers, a lot of those companies are mostly interested in selling you supplements, which you may not need. And if they aren't really a good fit for your microbiome needs, can actually do more harm than do good. So she definitely recommends working with a professional should you want to go that route. And she does offer that kind of consulting herself. Uh, You can find Stacy's private practice at enrichhealthconsulting.com. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Okay, 
Before we get to it, my little weekly reminder to check out our social media channels. You can find our communities of like-minded women at Feisty Menopause on both Instagram and Facebook. Communities are growing fast, and it's awesome to see all the amazing conversations in there. We have a private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel where you can pretty much come in and just speak your mind and ask questions. It's a very supportive, wonderful group of women. And we dive into the deep things on all things active menopausal living in our Feisty Menopause membership, where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts on all of our sponsors' materials. So come on in and check that out too. As always, thank you, thank you. Keep on showing your love for the show by following us on your podcast platforms, sharing shows on your social media channels, hitting those five stars or hearts or however your platform lets you rate and review. It is helping the show to grow and it makes such a big difference for us. So thank you, thank you, and keep on keeping on. All right, enough of me for now. Let's have a super quick word from those awesome sponsors and get on with my conversation with Stacey Kazanchuk. Hit Play, Not Pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their Podium series, which include branched-chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support and head over to NoonLife.com. That's Noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word, and use the code Feisty Menopause, again, one word with a capital F and a capital M for 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, NoonLife.com, use the code Feisty Menopause with a capital F and a capital M and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. As a fellow uh, gut biome geek, I'm super psyched yes. to have you on <laughs> our show. This will <laughs> be really fun. Sh- to have you on the show. And... You know, I, the more I learn about the gut biome, like the more I'm convinced that so many things that are otherwise medical mysteries might come down, right, to our gut biome. I completely agree with that. Um, I think that's the, and I remember when I had the, I was at an American College of Sports Medicine conference and when they had talked about um, in one of the, the studies, one of the animal studies, just the effects of exercise, um, the rat study that they, they took the the poop from the rat that had exercise, put in the sedentary rat and the sedentary rat all of a sudden had all these benefits. And I remember my mind being like, oh my gosh, like exercise physiology is rooted through the gut. <laughs> like, hold on a second. Like, 
Yeah. Um, and that was the start for me of like, wait, a, then what else is rooting through the gut? I was going to ask you, like, how did you get into this interest in the gut biome? Was, was that like, was that your aha moment or was did it start that before was, that? That was bef- that was when I realized that um, there's more to the gut than di- digestion, <laughs> or that the gut microbiome is involved in more, um, and really curious, you know, getting more curious about it. I would say my interest started when I was working in athletics, and I was the only dietitian for 500 athletes, and great experience, but a lot, a lot of work, you know, in trying to optimize performance for different sports. Um, like man, college man, athletics? College athletics, yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I worked at Oregon State University as their um, dietitian for three years and um, and with all different sports, males, females, and I felt all of a sudden I just felt limited in, I recognized that the recommendations, although I knew it was all individual just starting to see even with the same sport, same gender, one recommendation for one person didn't work the same way for the other person. I think we intuitively know that, but when I started mm-hmm. seeing it, I was just like, I want to know why this is. And that's when I started getting more into nutrigenomics and the genetic fact, genetic components. And then that led me also to the microbiome when I realized that, oh, wow, there's even more genetics in the microbiome than are in our body. <laughs> so it just wow. kind of like blows your mind. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's, for... We, we dove sort of right into that yeah, we did. <laughs> deep end, which is fine. But let's pull it back into the shallow end and start with mm-hmm. the basics for people mm-hmm. who, who may only know of the gut biome is like, oh, I have diarrhea, I should eat yogurt because I was on antibiotics. I mean, my grandmother, you know, would, would talk about that, right? So like, what what is the biome and where does it live? Let's start there. Okay. So the gut microbiome mainly lives in the colon, um, so the large intestine. However, I am going to back it up even more. I think it's important to recognize that there are microbiomes all around us. There's microbiomes on our skin. There's microbiomes in the air. So we aren't, and I think this piece of, of such a reminder that we're a part of these complex systems um, and we have to respect that and recognize that in what we know and then honoring also what we don't know. Um, I bring that up because within our body, there's the microbiome on our skin. There is the main, when we talk about the gut microbiome, it is the colon, um, that large intestine. However, there are going to, there's a microbiome in our mouth. That's the start of digestion. Um, For women, there's microbiome in our vagina. Like, so there's, um, we can't neglect those. And I think those are areas that certainly are getting researched and looked at, but they aren't, they don't have as much attention like gut microbiome is pretty popular right now right 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 um then let's talk <laughs> let's talk functionality because again i i feel like there you talked about this at the uh feisty performance sum- summit uh women's performance summit which was amazing but like like give give the listeners sort of a rundown of all the functions that the the gut microbiome does yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think you, to your point too, we always think, oh, digestion, you're right. Most people know if you take antibiotics, you got to, you know, back it up with some um, probiotic foods that can disrupt your digestion. So digestion is the main one. Obviously, the gut is involved in digestion. Um, but on the digestion side, the gut is also involved in nutrients um, in even nutrient metabolism and the um, creation of nutrients, B vitamins, vitamin K, these are created from the gut um, in terms of their metabolites that the gut produces. And we certainly can get these from our food. I don't want people to think, oh, I only get B vitamins from my gut. Um, But part of the process that the gut goes through, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail, but basically the, the bacteria in the gut are responsible for producing some of these things. So then those are going to be involved in a variety of different, you know, B vitamins are really important for our energy metabolism. Uh, vitamin K is important, uh, bone health or blood metabolism uh, or blood health. So a lot of different factors there. Um, other things from the gut, I mean, even our our mental health, we're starting to see a lot more connections between the brain and the gut. The gut-brain axis is one that we hear a lot of, and um, the gut produces serotonin. And, you know, serotonin being a really important um, hormone for the brain and communication. Um, so that's being produced in the gut. And so even though we think of serotonin maybe being more of a, uh, brain health or a mental factor, um, 
where it's coming from is often the gut. So that environment and the body's ability to produce that can be dependent on the gut. Um, other factors that plays a role in uh, inflammation and supporting, it can exacerbate inflammation and it can also help to mitigate inflammation. And so for individuals who are active, we know that inflammation is a part of that process. When we're working out, when we're exercising, we're creating inflammation. And what we want to happen is that our body becomes familiar with how to handle that inflammation so it becomes more resilient. Um, so the gut is a part of that. And some of those metabolites um, that it produces can be anti-inflammatory. So really supporting the body's inflammatory management system, I like to call it. Um, it gives it kind of the tools to do that. Which is why taking anti-inflammatories during exercise or right mm -hmm. after, like vitamin I, is, you know, it was really mm -hmm. popular. I mean, people would take it during the Ironman, right, or mm -hmm. crush it up, is not such a great idea. No, that's we don't want to suppress our body's natural infl inflammatory process, and especially the acute process. That we want to happen. Chronic inflammation, another story, another, we could get to that too. That's definitely more problematic um, in terms of, you know, more concerning. But that acute, you want to trust that your body's able to handle that. And that's part of adapting to um, the training that you're doing and part of your body's, um, it, the body ideally is equipped to do that. Um, and it's when, it, when it's not, that's when there's problems. And what about estrogen modulation? I know that, that there's a connection there. And for our audience, you know, with menopause, I think that there's an important intersection. Yeah, absolutely. So the gut has um, estrogen receptors. And we're starting to see in some of the research that there is um, between estrogen modulation and metabolism um, being involved in some of the gut signaling. And I think it comes back to that point two of everything passes through the gut in some way, shape, or form. And when if we think of our body as a whole, as a system, uh, when there's changes, so any hormone fluctuations that happen, especially during peri and postmenopause when they're more extreme um, or different than what was premenopausal, um, the body has to adapt. And so it makes sense that that's going to have an impact on the gut because there's so many things going on through the gut. Um, and so what some of the research has been shown is that there is a different environment in the gut during peri and postmenopause, and the question is, you know, chicken or the egg, right? Like, right. is it the hormones causing that change in the gut environment, or is it the gut environment, you know, contributing to the shifts in the hormones? Um, in that, and in what that influence way. might that have on body composition? Great question. So, and that's where the. Um, Again, we see that the research around, so outside of menopause, we do see that there's a unique environment in individuals um, who are in larger bodies, that their guts are different than individuals classified as obese um, or overweight. So using the BMI scale, so we'll, we'll put that out there, that that's um, what they're using in these research right. studies. Um, but what we're seeing is just these differences in the makeup of the bacteria. And so there's those two families, right? Like, can we dive a little bit in there? Because I've read mm -hmm. about this, like, and I'm going to butcher the names. Is it Firmicutes? How do you say the uh, word? I always say Firmicutes. Firmicutes. <laughs> but that's better than Firmicutes. <laughs> but but I kind of like right. the, fir the Firmicutes, <laughs> the, the cuties. <laughs> Um, I won't even attempt the other one. What's the other one? Uh, Bacteriaroides. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So the <laughs> the composition of those certainly um, has been contributed or associated with right. um, different levels of body weight. With the Firmicutes being the one that's associated with the more um, higher BMIs and, and right? Okay. Yeah. There's a larger... Yeah there's found to be a larger amount. So the proportion, and usually the okay. way these results are shown are percentages. So the percentages right. of the bacteria in your gut that are the ones that are represented and in large enough amounts to be classified. Um, I think it's always important to remember that the even the um, 
the tools that we use, we could talk about some of these testings, that they're not getting everything. Like you, most people are not going to see a report of every single bacteria. I mean, this would be like a giant data set <laughs> um, in their gut. But what we're seeing, these, uh, the bacteria, the bacteroides and formicutes are certainly more prevalent um, and found in larger amounts in everybody. And the formicutes be more prevalent that we've seen consistently in individuals who um, are at a larger body weight or in a larger body. Gotcha. And so there's a thought that there that there's an association there, there's something going on with that bacteria, and perhaps that it might be more efficient at extracting energy from foods. Right. And right. so individual so Basically, they're getting more calories from their foods, so that's contributing to their larger body size. Um, again, coming back to then all the different factors that might play a role in that, um, certainly it's not as easy as saying, well, let's just, you know, take the formicutes down a little bit. <laughs> we'll, right, right. Um, but then coming back to the menopausal women, um, is there some type of shift that's happening here um, with their bacteria? the bacterial composition that's shifting their formicutes and is yep. that contributing to the changes in body weight that they're experiencing is a question that's out there and being explored. How, how much control do we have over the um, families of bacteria, the tribes in our gut? You know, I mean, do how, what influences those, that composition? Yeah. So the, we're all unique, so I think that's the other piece is that every one of our any, every one of our microbiomes in our gut is unique as our fingerprint. So you and I both have very unique microbiomes. Even if you know we looked at a chart and maybe um, the percentage of Formicutes and Bacteroides are close, they might actually be you know within a couple percentage points, but. The difference um, overall, if we dug deep and looked at everything, would be very would be really vast. Um, and so, the influencing factors we do find that um, they start at they can start at birth. Um, so whether you're born uh, vaginally, so that's would be the first exposure to bacteria from the mother um, that a child um, would get. That's the start. Um, and then if you're born uh, C-section, that's going to be different. I did appreciate the study you sent me on Friday. That was fascinating. Um, there was a study that Celine shared with me on how they looked at there was a distinct difference in individuals when they were born vaginally versus C-section. However, the C-section um, kiddos caught up four to five years yeah. later, yeah. Um, which I think speaks to how much is happening and changing in those first few years. So three to five years of life, a lot of influence is happening. So certainly breastfed versus bottle fed can play a right. role. What are, what types of environments are you in? There's been research to show if you grow up with pets, you have a more diverse, diverse microbiome. Um, so you're yeah. getting exposed to a lot of different, you know, Dirt, different things. Kids there. on farms. Dirt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. There's, you know, factors there. And I think it comes back to, you know, the germ, um, you know, the germ theory of, you know, really just exposing our bodies to a lot of different things. So it has a chance to start to build that. So that's really where the foundation starts. Um, but that's not to say, you know, post five years, give up on your microbiome, there's nothing you can do. Um, from there, it, it, it is looking at different habits over time. And what we find, what the research is showing is that it's really the consistency of habits. The microbiome is really resilient to change. So acutely, it changes all the time. It can, you know, you get a, um, an emer emergency phone call or you have, you know, all of a sudden this influx of stress, your microbiome can change uh, that quickly. But it's going to resort back to... Um, to what is its baseline, its foundation, once that stress ceases and it's back to your normal routine. I remember attending a conference, and this was probably 10 years ago, maybe even longer, um, but it was, he, the presenter was an emergency room physician and researcher at Oregon Health Science University, and he was talking about how they had done studies, people before um, entering an emergency room, and so took um, poop samples before, before and then um, once they had been in the emergency room for, I don't know the exact time frame, but um, several several hours or 
a time that they were sitting waiting there and the change in the microbiome in that period of time of just entering a stressful environment. Um, who knows? Really? Also in an emergency room, right? Well, like, yeah. Um, or emergency waiting area. Um, and so they found these shifts in that time. So speaking to the acute changes wow, that that's the gut crazy. microbiome is capable of. To me, that's crazy to me that mm-hmm. they shift. I mean, do we know if they die off? Like, is it is it because they're replicating and dying at that rate? Like, I don't even understand how that would physically happen. I think it's more related to the how the environment that supports them, right? So okay, um, certainly, okay. you know, whether it's oxi- like anaerobic versus aerobic bacteria. So those that thrive in environments that are oxygen deprived might increase if there's, you know, less oxygen getting to the gut in that fight or flight state. Um, or those that have, you know, then those that thrive in oxygen, so are more aerobic, um, what's feeding them. And I think it also comes down, back down to that gut brain axis and what might be happening in that fight or flight survival mode of what is the brain communicating to the body and vice versa of, you know, where it's an emergency, what's important right now? Um, how do we need to shift our functionality to support life, to support just survival? Um, and that's where I wonder if there's this, you know, all of a sudden the, the survival bacteria <laughs> steps into play. Well, um, and that, that circles back to weight, perhaps, right? Like mm-hmm. when we talk about when we talk about chronic stress, and we do a lot on this show, and we talk about menopause and how that raises inflammation and stress. And what I'm hearing from you now, it's like no real surprise that our body composition does shift into what might be this more of a survival mode, right? Because like, because all these things are telling it, "Mm, maybe things aren't so great. (laughs) You know, like, maybe we need to, yeah. Yeah, I think in that, um, you know, when we look at even trauma um, and the gut, you know, when individuals have experienced um, some type of trauma and trauma can be it's that's interpreted by the individual you know Um, you know in some situations trauma is very extreme you know death or loss other times trauma is something that for one person is trauma another person isn't Um, so how it's perceived by the body but I think coming back to your point around that survival mode and when we look at body composition the individuals that are going to survive are the ones that have fat stores like yeah that's, yeah, no doubt. You know, um, they're yeah. not. Unfortunately, the body. I always tell clients too that you know, sorry, the body. While winning and competing is important, I'm with you <laughs> on that. <laughs> the body's <laughs> not like okay. We gotta we gotta win this stage race first, and then we can worry about right. survival. It doesn't really know. care about your podium position no. <laughs> or your, where you rank on athletics. It's not. It's not concerned with that. Yeah. Um, that being said, your your gut biome, because you presented this too, and I thought it was really interesting because I hadn't known as much about how the biome affects, like the muscle biome connection. Can you? And I had come across that study, and I'm wondering if they're related or not, about marathoners having a unique biome as far as like lactate metabolism, which makes sense, you know, that, that they might be better at processing that or whatever. So how is how is our biome talking to our muscles or vice versa? Yeah, and that was um, fat when I came across that too, kind of that eye-opening aspect of like, oh my goodness, there's more happening here. It's like the microbiome is the control station it's of the body. Yeah, um, and so the muscle, the gut muscle axis working similar. So one of the things that happen, you know, when we eat and even when we're not eating, the bacteria in our gut are producing um, metabolites. So they're um, post postbiotics, some people might uh, refer to them as. So the probiotics are the bacteria, prebiotics feed the probiotics, and the postbiotics are what the bacteria poop out, if you oh, will. Oh, wow, okay. Um, I hadn't even really thought so, about that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so there's, there's this whole like chain of events. And, yep. Yeah. And those bacteria are messengers. And so the messengers, they're then sending messages to the muscles in our body, um, okay. you know, looking at any muscle in our body, but the muscles that are being used for exercise. Um, And one of those metabolites that they found that could be used, um, well, used in the gut, that the bacteria can actually use lactate. So if lactate's being produced with exercise, as we know, especially with higher intensity exercise, that's going to be a byproduct, then how the gut bacteria might be able to use this and then be able to use that as messengers and adapt. The lactate's changing the gut environment mm-hmm. and the body is then adapting to that. So if there's repeated exposure to lactate, the thought is that, okay, then the that 
gut environment's more able to handle that, knows what to do with it. Um, perhaps that could be beneficial. Um, the study that you had mentioned on the marathon runners was interesting. And what I was curious to know, because they just looked at it post-race. Right. So it was like, to, to me, that would be, okay, that's an acute response. Right to the race, which would absolutely make sense. That especially right. in a race scenario, you got stress, you got competition, you know, you're out there performing at, at your hardest, ideally, um, in that in that scenario. So it makes sense that the, that gut environment would change based off of that event. But what we there is research still to show in a variety of different exercise modalities that the training aspect over time um, might be training that these the bacteria that the gut is producing, that repeated communication to the muscle is part of that adaptation. Um, so, you know, when I think back to learning exercise physiology in college and it was, you know, you just learned the mechanisms and um, the Krebs cycle, right. and this is what's <laughs> happening and adapting. I'm like, we left out the microbiome. <laughs> like, Everybody left out second. the microbiome. I mean, like that yeah. just wasn't, just nobody nope. talked about that. Mm -mm. No, it really seems like it's been in the last 10 years, maybe 15 years, but that we're really starting to hear about it and the potential that it has on all these different factors. Yeah, and I would argue in mainstream, maybe the last five, it's become more, you know, really seeping into the into the ether there. But um, which sort of segues to, which, which was about five years ago, I know Bicycling wrote a story on poop doping, <laughs> which, um, which is as it sounds, you know, taking fecal matter from somebody who's a great athlete and putting it into somebody who's just an okay athlete. And, you know, maybe they become a great athlete because now they have this, uh, these bacteria that are assisting them. It, you know, the, the researcher was very clear that this was not a good idea. Like, like, let's not take this and run with it. Um, but it is intriguing, this thought that we could somehow, whether it be by pill or by potion or whatever, alter our gut biome in a favorable way. But again, it seems like, again, it would not be that simple. Yeah, I do. Yes, I think we could make that clear to the audience. It's not that simple. <laughs> um, <laughs> for those that might be interested, I was thinking about this and I'm like, I think we have to go back to listening to our, you know, our instincts when we think <laughs> about other people's poop, like there's a guttural like re repulsion and i think there's something there for to a that. reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's protection that's protecting us um but i think um what we're seeing there is incredible potential to study like wait a second to learn more about what's happening in the gut there are so right now the only um poop doping or fecal transplants that are approved by the FDA are for um, severe conditions of C. diff, which um, for the audience is a really bad uh, bacterial infection. Most people get them after several bouts of antibiotics and when in a hospital gotcha. setting. Gotcha. Um, and severe diarrhea and really high risk of death due to yeah. dehydration and not being able to consume anything. And, um, so it's so the only way to get them in there, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they have found that that can be in those in that setting. Um, it is approved for use. So in hospital um, settings that way, there's some clinical trials being done um, in autism um, and oh, right. I, um, IBD. So irritable bowel, irritable bowel um, dysfunction mm -hmm. um, of the gut. So there's potential down the line. <laughs> I think performance might come a little bit after those. Um, but I think, you know, what it comes back to is even though poop isn't technically an organ, we have to think of it like an organ donation. Like there's still oh, those same risks. Oh um, yeah. 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 No, I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. As far as like taking someone else's, like the risks that might, because of your back, the bacteria that might be in there might cause you some terrible trouble. Yeah. There could be some really um, severe consequences. So I think, you know, that, that piece, that re reality, that this is this is still really risky, and um, the benefit there. I mean, the it was interesting the study that or the article that you said be. Um, I mean, the the writer did it. I mean, she had um, she actually took it in her own hands and said, "I've researched this. I'm assuming the risks, and I'm going to." And I think she had also had some type of GI. Um, issues that she wanted to be resolved and happened to notice feeling better in her performance. Um, but so I, 
yes, there's the potential there. I think we know that, yeah, there can be some really interesting things happening. Um, however, I think that <laughs> we, we could talk about the things to support an optimal gut environment. That's also going to help your performance. Right, that do not um, involve that. It's, it's in, it is interesting. Like she, I was actually invited to take part in one of those studies, but I was the, to give samples. And I was, you know, at first I was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, okay, you know, that is kind of cool. But the, the, honestly, the thing that made me not do it is I was going to be racing in Israel and I had to like, not only like keep samples, but also write down everything I ate and everything I did. I'm like, there's no human way I can do this right now. Yeah. It's like a I'm, lot. Go, I'm training for a stage race. I'm going to the stage race and I can't possibly be like, managing all that on top of it it would have been very cool to see but i was just not able to be a lab rat in that capacity <laughs> were you going to be able to get a transplant too or you were just oh no i was not interested in okay. <laughs> i was no I, only so far for I'm science good with my own no. Thank you. Yeah. no no yeah, absolutely. okay perhaps moving on yeah <laughs> um, um, um. Let, let's talk i, I don't want to leave exercise yet because I've ri- I've 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 written a bunch about leaky gut and the effect of like anti-inflammatories on the gut and you talked about sort of the the acute changes um what are those gut challenges during exercise and how can we make sure our gut recovers and then let's talk about things that we can do to build and support our healthy biome yeah so definitely during exercise again it comes back to the how the exercise the training is changing that gut environment so as more uh, resources are going to your muscles um, and again there is a there's a stress response to exercise it's a positive one but there is more of a fight or flight if you will so um, in response to exercise where there's diversion like there's less need to rest and digest. So the um, sympathetic nervous system is more activated. And then also the gut environment is um, the is going to have less oxygen available to it. So again, those bacteria that might thrive more in a um, lower oxygen state might become more prevalent. And those that uh, need oxygen might either die off or just become less. They're, you know, they, and that's where the gut is constantly in flux and it's a balance um, versus an all or nothing. And so exercise can, so that acute bout of exercise can certainly do that. And that's sometimes I think, you know, when we just, um, from a digestion standpoint, if the gut is off and then you add in, especially high intensity exercise, that's typically where we see symptoms are going to be greater than lower intensity exercise. So that connection to intensity tends to be pretty apparent. I think most people realize like, yeah, I could, I could do an easy ride or run, but if we're doing um, any type of interval work or hill training, like that might be a little bit harder um, if nutrition or the gut is off. Um, Chicken or egg thing, though, I'm, I'm curious because I know we have Ironman athletes in this audience. I've done a bunch of stage races and, you know, 200-mile gravel races. Is any of this contributing to exacerbating the nausea, the diarrhea, the vomiting, the stuff that happens, you know, deep into some of these, some of these long endurance days? I think the gut is absolutely playing a role because it's being impacted. It can't not be impacted. Um, I think there's certainly other things that are contributing in that. But again, going through the gut as the control center, um, it's going to be playing a role in that. In some situations, it may be a, it's, it might not be a dysfunction of the gut as much of, as the reality of the environment that you're in um, impacting the body in that way. So it's not that the gut's not working or that you have dysbiosis, but that it's changed related to the conditions in a way that is going to result in suboptimal symptoms or, you know, decrease in performance. Um, At the same time, I do think that the training and things leading up to it and supporting your gut along the way could certainly set someone up to be better able to tolerate those stresses um, with an environment. And they talk about training your gut. And I don't think that that's just like the enzymes that take in the different sugars, you know, I mean, all that, but it sounds like you might be training your gut microbiome too, to be able to be able to do whatever it needs to do or at least your body is used to whatever changes that take place six hours into some 12 hour day. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's the other piece. 
of training that um, as close as you can to that, to mimicking that race-like environment because inevitably it's a new environment. So it's going to be a new environment for your gut to experience. So it would make sense that all of a sudden it's going to have this like reaction of like, wait a second, this is new, this is different. Right. And that's where those symptoms could come up if it's not prepared of like, oh yeah, I've seen this before. I'm prepared for this stress mm-hmm. in a way that's, um, you know, something that I can tolerate. Right. And now she's going to pour a bunch of sugar on us. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Exactly. And now what? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what do I do with this? Where do I send right. it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I, I and I, I think your point is um, take the chicken or the egg of like, okay, what's affecting what? And I think it comes back to it, it's everything. And that's where, you know, in those type of events, it really does come down to often who can like best best handle the challenges, right? You know, it's not necessarily, I mean, these things aren't the top level, aren't, you know, beating each other out by you know, several minutes, you know, yeah. it's really like, okay, who made the best choice? Like the, it really can come down to fueling, timing, um, consistency with that. In oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, I think it, they even call uh, unbound gravel used to be dirty cancer in the eating and drinking contest. Mm, like yeah. who, who can keep it down and who can get what they need in because yeah. most people end up vomiting or just not mm-hmm. being able to stuff things down at that point. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, there's this certain. Because it's hot. You get dehydrated, you know, all that stuff. And it's just really hard to manage. I think that also comes, you know, back down to that gut brain piece too, right? There's then all of a sudden that, you know, what, what, is the brain telling the gut? What's the gut telling the brain? Stop um, already is what they're yeah, yeah. You're nuts. What are you doing? What yeah. are you doing? We've been out here yeah. for nine hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, uh, and that's where you know we could get to the um, the mental aspects of things. But I would say it's how, who can also activate their parasympathetic nervous system the most when that sympathetic is so active, like so that piece of it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, who can harness that? Um, I would say, and I don't know the research on that, but um, you know, in that type of environment with extreme exercise, but. And I wonder, too, like they've done these studies on like positive thinking and all this other stuff that is supposed to help. And that's got to have some sort of stress component and activating, getting you out of that, you know, super sympathetic activation where you're starting to just really freak out and nothing's going right. Exactly. And that's where we do know that from the research that more like mindfulness meditation practice in a, not necessarily on a, a bike at the end of a gravel race, but, um, <laughs> you know, in it just incorporating even simple practices throughout the day can improve the gut microbiome environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that is where I've had the best luck with um, my menopausal clients actually is after we've gone through like all of the nutrition components and really looking to how do we enhance the gut environment from a food standpoint, really where I find that there's like this pivotal shift of like, my and speaking more around digestion, um, that they've incorporated a, a regular, consistent, mindful practice, uh, mindfulness practice. Right. I was going to ask that because that's a stress. I, I can't imagine that's not just a stress component because we do know that <clears throat> as the hormones shift, cortisol rises, stress hormones like it just is harder. And menopause, as we've said a million times on the show, intersects with midlife, which is also a stress that. I've heard you're you're the seven thousandth person on the show to say a little breath work and mindfulness goes a long way for sleep. So many things, so many things that and sleep is another gut. one that we yeah. know imp- impacts the gut. Um, you know, and again, is it because when we we don't get sleep, we're more stressed out. Right. Um, right. You know, or we're more reactive to things. But then when hormones are shifting during peri and post menopause and interrupting sleep, um, then you know that connection there. So I. That's where I found where there can be a mindfulness practice that's realistic. We, the, you know, the worst thing is when you um, add in a mindfulness practice and they become more stressed out about doing it. Like that doesn't work. <laughs> like, right, right. Um, and that's where I like, you know, Erin had mentioned in her um, session at the Feisty Menopause and it, it like clicked with me how she uses um, parasympathetic nervous system activation just through some of her mobility work mm-hmm. and I think that can be a great way especially for individuals that might be more competitive type a right. that's, she, I, definitely I, her yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where it's like 
I'm not going to sit for 10 minutes and just listen to a mindfulness app. I, I don't have time. It's aggravating me. It's raising yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, But how can you incorporate it into your movement as a part of your recovery? Um, and I think that's, you know, coming back to even recovering from training sessions, knowing that a training, high intensity training session is going to change your gut. That's okay. Then give it the space and time to recover calm down and so that before you go into that next training session, I think, you know, that comes back to we know, yeah, we need to recover to get the most out of these training sessions. Um, and probably also a piece of that is going through the gut, right? Allowing the guts to recover, uh, relax and be able to kind of stabilize things again. So let's let's dive a little bit into um, into those nuts and bolts of what supports, you know, obviously what we eat too, like what supports gut health. You hear a lot about prebiotics and probiotics and um, people buying yogurt with seals and, you know, the whole nine yards. So like what, what does it look like to eat for a balanced, diverse, healthy gut biome? I always start with the fiber piece because I think, you know, fiber from plants, ideally, and these are all plants. These are, you know, your fruits, your vegetables, um, even you know, carbohydrates are plants that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. your grains, um, they're, they're going to provide that source. And because part of the going back to where these, a lot of these microbes coming from, they're in the environment that we live in and the soil, um, that these plants are grown in are providing a lot of that bacteria oh, okay. and that, that can help with the diversity. And that's really what we want is to have a diverse gut environment. We're still learning on what's the exact makeup. I don't know that we'll ever get there because I think our exact makeup is going to be unique to us. Um, I say that now, 10 years down the road, someone's going to be like, we know the exact makeup. (laughs) Um, Science is organic. It's always changing. (laughs) Um, However, what we know now is that more diverse gut microbiomes tend to be more resilient, which kind of makes sense if you think of, I like the rainforest comparison. A rainforest with a lot of different species of plants and animals and water sources is going to thrive versus these like monocropping areas that, you know, just aren't. So I think of, yeah, just really how can you build that diversity? So coming back to the fiber, a variety of different plants is what I always recommend based on what's tolerable, based on what you enjoy, how can you incorporate them um, in different ways? Um, You know, a fun way that I sometimes work with clients is just make, almost make it a game. See how many um, plant sources you can have throughout the day. And I think when we start thinking about that, we can realize there's opportunities to do that. Um, Doesn't have to come down to, you know, eat the recommended fruits and vegetables per day, just get you know, get curious with variety. What can you add? A fresh herbs count. I think that's one that people uh, forget that they're not only do they have a lot of anti-inflammatory benefits, but they're plants. They're also going to have that natural bacteria from, you know, the growth process. Um, so heavy hitters on the fiber, certainly we could talk about, you know, if you want to, you know, bang for your buck here are going to be uh, beans, lentils, um, and then fermented, fermented vegetables there. So then often these are fiber sources that have been naturally fermented. Your kimchi, your sauerkraut um, are ones. Even the sourdough craze that people have been Mm -hmm. doing, um, you know, there's some great benefits to that as well. Um, Why don't I ever hear pickles mentioned? I love a good pickle. And I never hear someone say, eat those pickles. I'm like, why? They're fermented, right? They, um, some of them are. What you want to look for are the ones that are have live cultures in them or live fermented. So if you make pickles at home and you do um, your own fermentation process, chances are there is going to be bacteria incorporated in there. Often the pickles that are canned and processed that we buy at the uh, store, okay. I'm not going to say they're not beneficial, but the processing is going to kill some of that bacteria. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay, so it's that not like they're, Yeah, it's just not as... Um, concentrated as some of the other sources that have more of that natural fermentation process. Why is yogurt considered such this holy grail of is it so, just marketing it, or is it, uh, is it well it, it depends it depends on the yogurt too okay. um so yogurt certainly does because it has a variety of cultures and it is alive i mean it is a very like okay. the majority of those bacteria are going to be alive in that environment because they're constantly being fed by the carbohydrates that are in there so um you're more likely to get these really active in yogurt uh live cultures that you're 
you know, adding to your gut bacteria. That being said, um, you do want to look on the label that they have um, live cultures in them. Um, some, some yogurts on the market will just add, you know, like a probiotic supplement to the yogurt. Um, and it's a more processed. So I usually use, oh, if you um, are someone that enjoys plain and adding your own um, fruit, typically that's going to be um, one option. There are some, I should say that some fruits will, that are add, added in there, if they're like whole fruits already in the yogurt, they actually can provide more food for the bacteria as well because it's gotcha. a carbohydrate source. How about um, a good hazy IPA? No, that's a good question. So, <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. filled with them. <laughs> so uh, also a beer um, enjoyer <laughs> myself and wine. Um, so these, there is some bacteria in there. Um, the balance is the alcohol, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, how the al alcohol is, is potentially killing some of that bacteria. Mm. So you're most likely getting some of them. Um, it's not going to be as concentrated as your other sources. Okay. But they're they're fermented um, for sure. So there's definitely um, live live bacteria in there. Gotcha. Okay, so, so we got the fruits, we got the vegetables, we have um, our healthy carbs like the whole grains, fermented, anything else that, that, that brings all those bells for probiotic health? Um, the, um, also on the prebiotic side. So ah. these are going to be foods that, again, are going to feed the bacteria um, versus just implanting bacteria in there. Yep. Um, so those are your, you know, your onions, your garlic, um, Jerusalem artichokes, uh, asparagus. It's such a also... random list. Everything I, I write <laughs> about the, pre the prebiotics, I'm like, okay. What do you have in common? <laughs> yeah, yeah what, what do you have in common? I don't I don't. Um, I mean, yeah, I get the onions and garlic, and I actually wrote about onions decades ago for Rodale Press and found a quote from some army general who said he would not move his army without onions. It was like a civil war, and it because of stomach health. And, the, I, and they weren't talking about... Yeah, they weren't talking about uh, the microbiome, of course, at that point, but yeah. because they noticed that with onions, they had better uh, huh. stomach and GI health. So. Oh, that's really cool. Well, yeah, yeah. see, we've, we've been, I mean, the microbiome's been around. so we've It's been, been around for a long this. time. Yeah. We've yeah. just sort of discovering. I mean, all this stuff is just, you know, I, I think we intuitively understand a lot of these things for health, right? Like long before we've been able to study the inside of our, you know, the bacterial makeup of us. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think now we're finding out how they actually work, <laughs> you know, yeah. the deeper that we, that we dive of like, oh, this is why this is important. Um, or this is actually how this is happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so those would be the main, those are the main from a food standpoint, um, things to incorporate. Uh, another one that I do get questions on is kombucha, uh, because oh, right. it is a fermented beverage. Um, again, the store-bought ones are going to have most likely less bacteria because they tend to be a little bit more processed because the other piece that you're dealing with with some of these products is it is live bacteria. It is an environment that's um, meant to perpetuate bacteria growth and it, ideally it's perpetuating good growth, but it could also be bad. So when you're buying things from a, a company, chances are they're going to err on the side of caution. And so yeah. there's going to be less in there. If you make your own kombucha, um, chances are you're going to get more of that. You still, it's still not the the greatest source of probiotics. So I wouldn't, um, sometimes I have clients that say, you know, now I'm drinking six kombuchas a day. To yeah, yeah, I've, my I've gut. met them. Like, well, yes, I guess. <laughs> Tone it down let's maybe talk a about little some bit. other sources. <laughs> yeah. Variety, remember, yeah, variety. variety. Variety, for sure. Um, I am interested too in the, you mentioned it way back when we started about the oral microbiome because I wrote a piece which I thought was fascinating about mouthwash reducing benefits, workout benefits even, because like of all the stuff that starts happening with, um, and I'm losing the, the train of the, you know, we, we create, it's about opening our vessels. That's what it comes down to, like the whole nitrate connection that opens up our blood vessels and allows us to work out at a higher intensity. And that's why people sometimes drink beetroot beet juice before they go. But it, the mouthwash dulls that. Um, and it's really interesting because it, because that chain starts in our mouth before. Yeah. yeah. No, and I think that's such a good reminder, too, of how all these how everything's connected. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that um, piece where, yeah, so that 
if it's an antibacterial mouthwash, it's going to kill the bacteria in our mouth that's responsible for activating um, the nitrate to nitrite metabolism and that vasodilation. And so then to see the the recovery uh, benefits diminish because of that, um, it just you know, it speaks to how important that bacteria is. Um, and I think it also comes back to, you know, in our things that we can also do is limit ac- antibacterial things in general where we can. There I worry about that places. right now. Do you worry about that right now? This COVID stuff has me really yes. worried about what we're doing to sanitize and get germaphobic. I mean, I understand the, when we're in an extreme situation, but like we like you said kids on farms kids with pets kids like we need exposure to dirt and exactly germs. no yeah. i've been really nervous about that um interesting story i have um so i've had my microbiome tested several times and i did um i used a biome kit um in October of 2019. And then a year later, um, so it was probably October, November of 2020, I decided I was going to test again. And I actually did, because I was curious, um, one poop sample with two different tests. So another company called Day 2. I was like, I'm just going to see what this does. Um, So what was interesting, so previous to those tests, I'd always had what the test had shown to be a more optimal diversity. And um, being a dietitian, I was proud of that. So like, I can't hide it. I was like, this is great. So I have great diversity. And it aligned with my experience too. I did not have any digestive digestion issues. And, um, you know, it was like, okay, cool. Like what I'm doing is working. And and, and I'll keep monitoring this just as, you know, as I feel like it. So interestingly, I get these results back um, in like December of 2020. And both the biome kit and the day two had mentioned or the results basically indicated I had suboptimal diversity and all of these different recommendations on things to change and do. And, and, and actually, I was like, pissed at them. I was like, why do I have yeah. suboptimal diversity? Because I still didn't have any digestion changes. But I started thinking, I was like, however, I have been in a pandemic for 10 months. And, oh, interesting. you know, so I, I don't know for sure. I can't say, but it was oh, the very only time that I've had. And I've tested even with another company previously, two different times that were, I believe they were probably 10 months apart. And it was like, Mm -hmm. practically the same um, diversity score. And so to see this difference in a year, uh, you know, at this point, it was a little over a year, but with two different companies on the same poop sample, I was like, that's really interesting. So I'm pointing my finger at the pandemic, but to your point where I'm, and I will learn this, but you know, now, you know, anywhere you go, I mean, there are some stores that I go in, you have to sanitize before going into stores. Um, you know, I think, and I have been more conscious on washing my hands. I personally choose to just use good old soap and friction yeah, and yeah, not a, a ton mm-hmm. of antibacterial things. That's, um, I, I don't think I need to go to that length, but um, but all the environments we're in too. I mean, even my gyms that have opened back up, um, with they, I mean, after each like exercise, you're scrubbing the whole thing down. Um, and I used to think, I, th- I always used to think going to the gym was a great way to improve my gut microbiome because I'm totally you know, picking up I, other I agree. Sweat. Like, you need some <laughs> other people's, yep, the, we need each other. We need, we mm-hmm. need each other's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So, mm. so we'll see on that. Um, you know, I'm guessing we're gonna, there's gonna be plenty of studies that look at microbiome over this time. But, but yeah, I would agree that this now coming back to this, how cleanly things are right now, I, there is part of me that says, oof, what, what's going to be the consequence to that? And recognizing, you know, obviously, we have to be to some extent, cautious, but I also wonder yeah, about the, yeah, uh, totally. the mass too. Yes, we do need to wear masks. However, that's also a barrier, right? Like that's less yeah. air bacteria getting in. Yeah. 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 Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so to be t- starting to, be to see the light, but yeah, yeah, I mean, those, we're going to learn a lot from this for sure. Before we want to wrap up, I want to make sure that we cover a couple of things that, you know, I know, um, supplementation, everyone always wants to reach for supplementation and you, there's no shortage of supplements you can buy. Uh, is there for the, for, you know, everything we've talked about to support the biome is, is things that you can do. You mentioned in your talk, like even growing your own vegetables or growing your own herbs, because then you have your own little bit of dirt, you know, like that, um, healthy dirt growing them. But is there ever a need for a healthy, otherwise healthy person to take to, to supplement probiotics? 
The only time I use them is in a last resort when digestion is just not improving. Um, and so I, and typically I'm looking, I'll, Jaro is a brand I usually go to because of the research that they do um, and the science that they have to back it up. And they do have a variety of different um, products with a, a variety of different strains. So you want something that has multi-strains, like five or more, especially the lactobacillus, um, the bifidobacteria. And again, though, this and I don't like it as a forever plan. Like I want you to, I want people to be getting it from more natural sources. I mean, coming back to let's identify the root cause versus just treating the symptoms. Um, so that's the only time I will use it. There are some even higher level um, probiotics that will sometimes will be used in really severe digestion cases, um, but you definitely want to be working with a dietitian or gastroenterologist on those because the other piece is that a lot of times people will either not notice a difference with uh, adding in a probiotic, and so then you're wasting money, or because you got to remember you have this unique gut environment. And so if you're throwing in these other bacteria that are now synthetic, so not necessarily what your body's like used to just processing from your food, your bacteria might say, we don't like you, like, get the hell out. <laughs> like, <laughs> get out of yeah. here. <laughs> and, You're not our kind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, the way that they do that <laughs> is by making you feel more uncomfortable. Um, right. right. So I think it's not just this one one shot deal. And I do think that the probiotic industry does people a disservice by, you know, making like a probiotic for everything and saying, you know, this is going to, this is your probiotic for bone health. This is your probiotic for weight loss. And there's just not the evidence to support that. And so I think that's where uh, people get, then they start, you know, polypharmacy with probiotics and that's not going to end well. Right. Right. Literally. Um, and I also like that you talk about, cause Fasting is so much in the mainstream ether right now, um, you know, and, and one of the things that they they talk about with fasting, they being proponents, is how it's so good for the gut microbiome. But I believe in your talk, you referenced that exercise has that same beneficial effect that fasting does? Well, is that, did I hear you correctly? Or I mentioned it. oversimplifying? Um, fasting has the same effect in terms of metabolic response as exercise now okay. saying that probably is also working through the gut um, in terms right, of the right. mediated processes. Um, what I think, you know, exercise throws another variable in there that we have to account for in, you know, what types of stresses are on the system. Now, fasting, giving your gut time to rest and recover certainly has shown some benefits and even the fasting because of my, my understanding, it's connected to more of that, um, circadian rhythm um, and the connections with the gut with that too. So I think there is something there, but when we're looking at exercise and especially performance, we got to remember that that's, that's adding in another variable that's different than what the gut um, is accounting for. And that is going to induce the metabolic fasting state that not eating does. However, we also have to fuel and recover from that specific exercise, not to stress the system more because, you know, incorporating a, you know, not, not fueling or recovering from training because you're sticking to a certain fasting protocol is probably going to then cause stress to the system, which potentially could be suboptimal to the gut microbiome and right. suboptimal to your performance. So I think right. that's, that's, that's pretty much what we say. Like, don't eat two hours before bed. Let yourself yeah, have some time. Exactly. To, yeah. Yeah, give yourself that simple prolonged mm -hmm. nightly fast. I think that is mm -hmm. more more realistic. And, you know, the reality is people probably shouldn't be eating at midnight and then waking up at 6 a.m. and eating. Like, <laughs> give yourself a break. Uh, right, you know, right. Um, that, on every level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That being said, you know, sometimes with training, depending on what you're training and how much you're doing, you might have to adjust those things. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's my take on that piece of it. And, and individualized, too. It comes down to the individual. Excellent. Is there anything that we didn't cover with the gut microbiome? I feel like this was yeah. I think we such a great talk. A lot of different things. I think you know. Again, coming back to just experimenting, um, seeing what, and having fun with it. There's not no. We know a lot, and there's also so much we don't know that learn to see how your body reacts to different things. Try more vegetables, try a new fermented food, see what happens. Um, I think there's room for experimentation versus this prescription <laughs> um, yeah, that I think yeah. so many people want. But I think if you 
you know, experiment, get to know your body and what works best for it, you're going to, you're going to find that in that way. And I think, you know, just to close out as well, um, another benefit is exercise. We know that exercise um, is beneficial for the gut. We talked on some of the acute changes, but being active, we see more resilience in the guts um, based off of the changes in bacteria there. So you have that going for you um, if you're training and being feisty and active. All right, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with Tanya Dalton. She is a personal trainer, a healthy aging coach, and one of our OG Feisty Menopause members, and probably one of the most menopositive women I've ever had the pleasure of speaking with. So definitely come back next week for that conversation. That is all from me for now. Until next week, as always, stay feisty, my friends. listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.